Heyo, and welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 77 of the podcast. And I have a good one for you today, folks. I'm really excited to bring you today's interview. Uh, it's from a friend of mine and uh, somebody that I worked with. Um, and I think that uh, people hopefully will get a lot out of it today. Um, if you are in uh, involved with Greek life at all, then you will probably find this interesting just because it involves something that you're interested in. <laughs> um, and if you have already made up your mind about Greek life, I, you know, and it's like, this is not for me kind of thing, I urge you to listen to what our guest, uh, her name is Ashley, has to say today. Uh, Ashley is a Greek life specialist at uh, King University, which is a uh, university here in New Jersey. And, um, I tried to focus the interview on, you know, things that I think maybe could dispel some myths, but as well as um, things that might relate to people that have, you know, kind of mental health issues and, and whatnot, and also a question about faculty. So I tried to get it all in there, and, and she, I think she did a great job. Uh, so before we get to that, though, I just wanted to talk a little bit about my review drive. Uh, I kind of felt like I didn't give it a lot of... Uh, enough credence so I'm gonna push it a little bit more today uh, because it's gonna go on until the end of the month so we got about 10 more days uh, so I'm doing a review drive so that is to get people to write reviews in iTunes um, to basically get the podcast some more exposure so the way iTunes works if you um, if you the more reviews you get the easier it is for people to find your podcast when they search for things so somebody searches like mental health or college goal setting you know they might find me or they might not um so the, the op to up the uh, chances to get it more discovered by more people i am offering 15 dollars per review that i get uh from when i announced this last week until the end of the month so it ends up being a little over two weeks and the benefit, uh, the proceeds are going to this organization I talked a little bit about last week to write love in her arms. And I had posted uh, some stuff in social media this week to kind of um, draw more attention to it as well. But I wanted to uh, do a little bit better of a job of that. Um, me explaining the organization, I think it just kind of falls flat. I think it would be better to hear... Um, something that's produced by the organization themselves about their mission and what they do. So I went looking for that for you guys, just because I love you. Uh, and I found this video. Uh, this was done last year, 2016, uh, to celebrate 10 years of the organization. So I'm going to play this for you. It's about four minutes long, and then I'll come back before we introduce our guest. Uh, so take a listen. People always ask me how this happened. What made it spread? What made it grow? People ask, how do I start something big? I usually smile and tell them I don't know. Because to write Love on Her Arms started about as small as something could. It was a story and an attempt to help one person. It was a MySpace page. It was a box of t-shirts, and one of those shirts ended up on stage at a Switchfoot show in South Florida on March 30th, 2006. 
We never could have guessed what it all would lead to. Now, our Friday Making a Difference report. Growing up can be tough, and too many young people are struggling with depression, addiction, even thoughts of suicide. And perhaps the biggest obstacle, the feeling of being in it all alone. Tworkowski started an organization to write love on her arms. Funded mainly through the sale of T-shirts, the group's MySpace, Facebook, and Twitter responses number in the hundreds of thousands. Somewhere in the equation of helping young people in despair is not just getting them the information, but telling them in some way, I hear you, I see you, yeah, I'm I, with you. I think hopefully there's an element of caring for this person, that they, they feel heard. I think we never know what can save a life, but, but I think it's important that we go there and that we try. Renee's story was told in a way that was honest, and I suppose it gave people permission to be honest about their story, about their struggles, their questions, and their pain. A common thread began to emerge. It was people saying, this is something no one knows. This is something I've never said out loud. And so there was this feeling that people were taking a step forward. And for a lot of people, it was the very first step. Folks began to realize that they were not alone. Other people were dealing with the same things they were. Someone else had been where they were. Someone else was there right now. To write Love on Her Arms became something like a bridge. The goal was to move people from a place of shame and isolation to community and from hopelessness to hope. More than anything, the goal was for people to get the help they needed and deserved. And so ever since then, we've been pointing to professional help. We've given $1.6 million to it. We point to counseling, treatment centers, crisis hotlines, and support groups. We've learned that two out of three people who struggle with depression, they never get help for it. It's because of stigma. People feel like they can't talk about this stuff. We feel ashamed and feel alone. We're afraid of being misunderstood. We're afraid of being labeled and judged. But over the last 10 years, we've seen thousands of lives begin to change. We hear from folks who are sitting across from a counselor for the first time and people stepping into treatment, or someone who, in a desperate moment, they sent a text to Crisis Text Line or called 1-800-273-TALK. These are people literally choosing to stay alive. We've seen some incredible doors open, things we could not have even imagined. recipient of the one million dollar grant is to write love on her arms. And it's our belief that your story is sacred and it's priceless and it's entirely unique and no one else can play your part. It's our hope that you will never ever give up. All right, I hope that uh, the video kind of, well, you guys heard the audio of the video, but I'm gonna include a link in the show notes if you wanna actually watch the video, um, definitely add something to it. But I thought that the uh, the audio attached to it gave a good picture of the organization. 
and um, I just I, these organizations that like one person starts you know and just kind of really has a very defined mission uh, are just like I think fantastic and I just really admire them and given the choice I think some of the the bigger named you know large scale corporation type uh, donation you know organizations that are committed to mental health are good too uh, I just kind of like I guess more support uh, those smaller entities that are still kind of that grassroots variety so that's kind of why I picked them and I want to give you some backstory if you've never heard of who to write love in her arms actually is uh, a big presence on Twitter and that's how I became aware of them uh, so with that, now let's get into our, our, uh, main part of the podcast today, which is our interview with Ashley. So I did this interview over the summer and in talking with Ashley about when it'd be best to, uh, release it because, you know, I had some flexibility in that, you know, we, we decided together sort of that, you know, the best time would be sort of, uh, mid to the end of September when, um, fraternities and sororities typically engage in rush activities and you'll hear a little bit about what that means if you don't know what it means so i thought it was good timing you may be seeing things on campus about different uh greek affairs you know hey come out and meet this organization or we're having a pizza party you'll be seeing that a lot now if you're at a, especially of a, a university or college that has a strong greek presence and this is sort of your your and your easy entryway into finding out you know a little bit about Greek life, how you might be able to benefit. And so, we'll take it away, Derek and Ashley, and I'll come back and uh, offer some thoughts at the end. Okay, Ashley, uh, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you on today. I'm happy to be here. So Ashley is a Greek life specialist. Uh, at a local university here in New Jersey. And um, I was going to talk to her about that today uh, to kind of give some the listeners uh, some insight into Greek life in college, if you've been at all interested in what it might be like. Uh, this will be a great interview for you to listen to today. Uh, so welcome, Ashley. Uh, so I want to ask you first, I assume you're in a fraternity or sorority to have a title like this, or maybe not. I don't even know. Yes, uh, I am in a sorority okay. uh, called Omega Sigma Psi. We are a local sorority. There's kind of um, different branches, if you will. There's Panhellenic, Multicultural, National, and Local. So what that all means is for a local sorority or fraternity, that means they're just founded in one area. So we only have one chapter at Kane. Now for Panhellenic, um, those are kind of the D9 fraternities and sororities. They're mostly like African-American, um, but just because they're culturally based that way doesn't mean that if you're not of that ethnicity or race, doesn't mean you can't join. Mm-hmm. Um, multicultural organizations uh, are usually the Hispanic and Latino sororities and fraternities, but they're almost everywhere. Like they have chapters in like Miami, um, Arizona, pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, National goes the same, the same. Okay. So a national would be like, you know, the well-known sororities, uh, major universities, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now what about like, um, I've always wondered this, like honor society type of sorority and frater- or fraternities? So honor societies, um, 
they kind of have the same origin in a sense. Like they do have their own processes, but they're more GPA related. Mm-hmm. Um, to join a sorority or fraternity, um, you do have to have some GPA requirements, but the processes to um, attain your status or letters mm-hmm. um, is much different. Okay. So we're going to focus mostly our discussion today on the the, the typical uh, I'm doing it too <laughs> sororities and fraternities. Um, maybe we could just use one <laughs> um, mm-hmm. moving forward because I do know like there are some like it's not simply gender based too. I think like oh coed yeah we have Kane has one coed uh, and they sure. would be known as a fraternity then um, or is it interchangeable? They typically go by their their uh, their letters. So mm-hmm. it, the coed, well, I guess it'd be like coed fraternity, yeah. sorority. Um, they're lambda delta chi. Okay. So, well, I'm going to use fraternity <laughs> so I don't get tripped up from now on. Okay. So let me ask just about your interest. Like, what led you to kind of pursue uh, an interest in Greek life? I actually would have never thought that uh, I joined Greek life. It wasn't something I was interested in uh, as a freshman entering college. You know, you hear all these things about hazing and um, there's this uh, stigma attached to females in particular who join sororities that they're, you know, they sleep around. Um, So that was just something of major disinterest to me. Uh, I didn't want to be a part of, but... um, at school, there's this thing called Meet the Greeks, and as a freshman, um, some of my roommates were going, and that's where you meet all the organizations, um, and they talk to you a little about what they are, who they are, and what they do on campus. And um, going into college, I had a very uh, big leadership background, if you would like to say. I was heavily involved in student government, and I've just always been very active in um, doing things for the community. So I was kind of missing that in college, and I was trying to find that component. Um, so when I went to meet the Greeks, I was kind of uh, seeing that, that this, that's what Greek life was about. It was kind of almost like a governing body in a sense, but so much more than that. Like they do a lot of community service, um, and the unity was just something – that I wanted to be a part of. So um, I tested out a few sororities that I thought I that might be a good fit for me because that's what you have to do if you're ever interested in wanting to be a part of Greek life. You have to see if the people in the organization kind of, if you have the same type of connection, because it's not for everyone, but I found one. Um, and it was probably one of the best decisions I've made and it's led me to a lot of great opportunities. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard that and, um, you know, I imagine that it was, but sometimes, you know, people have, like you'd said, you had no, no thought you would be in become involved. Some people like maybe have older siblings that were, um, you know, involved in Greek life. So they may have like a better idea, but I had no idea what it would be like. Going <laughs> in. Um, and then you ended up not only enjoying it, but taking a, a leadership 
position sort of amongst uh, sororities and fraternities as this Greek life specialist. So what do you do in that role? Yes. So um, through my sorority, I attained a lot of leadership roles within the organization itself. But um, there is, we have a Greek advisor who oversees pretty much all the Greek organizations and handles business. And um, through uh, through leading, because I was president at one point of my sorority, so through leading the organization, um, my advisor had taken notice of my involvement and doing things on campus. And um, his graduate assistant had asked me to... Uh, apply for a position to work under him as his Greek life specialist. So, um, I did. And then I went through the interview process and I was hired. So now, um, I work directly with other, uh, individuals in Greek life and I help them organize their organization's events, um, uh, handle their new member rush processes. And now that I have, graduated I'm going to be his graduate assistant so still doing more Greek stuff even after graduating but yeah can't get away from it well (laughs) you are a sorority sister for life right yep forever (laughs) um all right so yeah it's 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 great that you kind of bring that up you know I, I see or hear this trend of you know you had these leadership type of opportunities um before you were in college and were sort of kind of craving that and started uh, locally within the organization, you said you were president of the sorority, mm-hmm. and then, you know, that would be, I guess, be a logical n- next step is to take, you know, go up a level and now work sort of at the at the Greek uh, at the whole wide level. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sort of work as an intermediary between the chapters on the campus and the administrators of the campus. Yes. Okay. So what are some of the challenging aspects of that job? Because I imagine, you know, you talked about some of the more, you know, uh, you know, clerical things, you know, keeping track of of members and whatnot. But I imagine there's got to be some of the things that might come up that are are more difficult. Hmm. Uh, I guess the challenging aspects would be dealing with the students themselves sometimes as far as... um, when we go over hazing workshops, making sure they know what they're doing is appropriate when they're going through their new member processes. Um, sometimes the guys can, uh, when they're doing their trying to publicize rushing for their fraternity, um, rushing in, in a sense is just like a period of time where, uh, they're trying to recruit new members. So they'll try to find a very creative, sometimes rather inappropriate <laughs> ways to try to get uh, males attracted to their particular organization, which isn't always appropriate and can be kind of uncomfortable trying to put them in their place and letting them know that that's not <laughs> the yeah. way to go. Oh, so you're the person that they look at as like, oh, the the fun police is here, you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. no, I, appre- I appreciate what you have to do there because you're right. You know, it's, I, I, I can I can empathize with, you know, young adults, 
male or female, you know, just taking mm. things too far. And, you know, there do need to be some guidelines um, for appropriateness. It is a public <laughs> university after all. Um, all right. So what since you kind of it seems like some one of your roles is to kind of oversee and, and kind of make sure that in a sense that these uh, chapters are doing I don't know if it, it's a fulfilling the mission, but sort of what is the mission of fraternities and sororities? It, it can't be just to for people to party their asses off like mm-hmm. the uh, stereotypes would have you believe. Yes. So um, there's a lot more to the letters um, for people who don't know much about Greek life, but every fraternity and sorority, they have a philanthropy and some organization actually have more than one philanthropy. So basically a philanthropy um, is kind of their overall goal and what they might be fundraising for the entire year. Um, For my sorority, our philanthropy is the Sue Barron Scholarship Foundation, and that's in honor of one of our sisters who passed away from ALS. So throughout the year, we not only advocate awareness for what ALS is, but we will fundraise um, for the ALS Association, and we give um, a scholarship to uh, one of the people in Greek life. They have to fill out an application. So each uh, organization is very unique as far as what their philanthropy is and how they might go about fundraising. Um, but even though they have that designated philanthropy doesn't mean that they don't do, um, service for other organizations as well. Okay. So that makes sense. Sorry. That makes sense. They have, um, sort of a main mission and I imagine that stays pretty fixed for Mm -hmm. year to year. Um, and it, it, you know, is defined by sort of probably the culture of that chapter, or like you said, it was an individual member that mm-hmm. had a, a disease, and that became sort of the rallying thing call for the for the chapter. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we've kind of danced around some of these uh, myths and stereotypes, but let's kind of talk about them a little bit. Um, so I remember when I was at college, uh, ugh, I can't believe I'm going to tell. <laughs> so this is like 1996. Um, and it was my first weekend away. I, I grew up on Long Island. So coming to Rutgers was, you know, I was away, <laughs> um, away for the first weekend. And I met my roommate and, you know, of course, two guys, away from home what we were going to do first thing it's like oh let's find out about these fraternity parties you know we heard there's booze there <laughs> um and we we had this just really cheesy way of, of getting into parties where we would you know find a bunch of girls because you could never two guys just could never show up to a frat party um <laughs> and be let in unless you knew you know a brother mm-hmm. so you'd find a bunch of girls and sort of just latch onto them <laughs> And mm-hmm. if the girl guy ratio was, um, you know, satisfactory to the to the brothers that were at the door, they let you in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we managed to do that the first few weekends of the semester, and you know, get our our red punch. Um, 
and you know, you'd hear the stories over the years about hazing and and just sort of like you were talking about inappropriate. Mm-hmm. In this case, you know, blatant, you know, blatant misogyny mm-hmm. um, at times. Uh, so, does that still go on? Uh, what What is your your feeling on this as as somebody like with their ear to the ground, uh, in, in immersed in the culture? Um, I would say not as much compared to back then mm-hmm. um, because of all the laws that we have instilled and in place. Um, I think hazing back then was more tolerable. Like now we entered a culture where um, things are taken very seriously all the time, um, especially at Kane, they take hazing very seriously. And um, we actually haven't had a case this year with with no one getting um in trouble or kicked off campus so that's really important things that are getting better um so that's not as bad but as but i would imagine that it does take place i mean you do hear the stories on the news from other colleges and campuses but i think that it has definitely decreased over time due to things changing yeah i think you're you're absolutely right you know um the 90s you know we were not too far removed from you know the animal house type mentality of the 80s you know movies um and there's been some high profile cases that have come Mm -hmm. about since that time that have really brought a lot of awareness for the for the good uh about you know what the culture has been like and i'm sure that um you know the more proactive universities i'm sure not all have have been as proactive but Mm -hmm. um it's good to hear kane is um you know have been much uh probably i would imagine doing like a zero tolerance type of policy Um, yeah absolutely zero tolerance policy um before any organization is allowed to move forward with their new member process the president and the new member educator uh has to um, bring the prospective members in to watch um, a hazing video presentation. And then after they watch the presentation, um, we go over the rules and regulations of what hazing is and what would happen to the organization and the individuals if they were to break any of the rules. So, and then I have to, you know, we document paperwork and stuff like that. So once they watch that video they're allowed to proceed with their new member process um and the new the prospective members are informed of where they can go online to report a hazing claim uh, anonymously too Mm -hmm. um and then they can move about their process so we've been they i i would say kane does a really good job in uh, making sure that it is a zero tolerance. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think this is one of those probably real sticking points for people that like might be like casually interested in what it would be like to join a uh, fraternity. Mm -hmm. Um, But they hear, you know, they, even if they haven't heard of it recently, you know, because it probably has gotten better overall nationally, mm-hmm. um, they still, you know, it's this, the, the stereotype is still there and the stigma. Um, 
and it's good to hear i think it's good to be talking about the fact that you can't do you can't fraternities can't get away with that kind of stuff anymore um and in 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 turn i would imagine is a much more potentially welcoming place uh particularly for people with disabilities um Mm -hmm. So what might fraternities or sororities, how might they benefit people that have mental health issues, which is sort of the the audience of the show? Yes. So um, I definitely think it is a wonderful support system. Um, I do know a few individuals who do have mental health related concerns, and that was one of the main reasons why they joined the sorority sorority or fraternity because they were given extra set of shoulders and hands for support. Um, and I think that's, what's really beneficial because I know personally, um, if any one of my sisters were to text me with the concern that they needed and they needed someone to be there for them, I would, you know, make arrangements or do whatever I need to, to be there for them. Um, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, you don't get to pick your family, but this is the one instance where you can pick your family. Um, so you get a whole bunch of sisters or brothers that are actually there for you and they do care about your well-being and, um, will do whatever they need to, to give you support. Yeah. That is like to me the the most amazing part about fraternity life. Um, I was an inner fraternity, but my cousin was um, in one of the SUNY schools, and you know he he you know kept his he wouldn't tell me you know he had his secrets <laughs> and stuff, um, and we were pretty close, so I knew it was very important to him. Um, and you know some of the relationships that you know he formed, you know, and he said you know if a brother ever called me up, you know, still to this day and needed help. I would, you know, do whatever I could. Um, and you cannot buy that. And like you said, like, some people aren't blessed with family that would necessarily do that. Um, mm-hmm. But in this case, you, you, like you said, you can choose it. And I imagine, like, you can get a sense. Like you said, you checked out a few different ones before you, you know, kind of picked one that fit right, you know. And yes. I imagine that if you went in, you would be able to kind of – sense you know if it was going to be sort of a supportive place or if it was going to have maybe more of that like i think mm-hmm. you may be able to tell if it was going to have more of that party mentality just by you know meeting the the people that are in already there you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that's some good i think it's some good things for people to think about in terms of like what it what it could do to benefit you um in terms of support is there any opportunity for faculty? Like, are they involved at all in Greek life at Kane? Um, so every organization has, like, they have to have an, uh, an advisor, but not all advisors are uh, existent, I guess you can say, and working with them. Mm-hmm. But some are. Uh, I know for my organization, our advisor, she's a wonderful woman. She's very active on campus, but she doesn't um, really work one-on-one with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but some faculty do. I mean, some students will... It's, it's mostly really student-driven. Everything that we do is student-driven. Um, but some faculty will reach out to 
potentially co-host programs um or uh for example our advisor um will ask her maybe to come speak at some of our programs because she is a a nurse and she's involved in um this organization called be the change i don't know if you've ever heard of it mm-hmm. but she'll come and she'll do like suicide awareness prevention programs and speak for us um so it's like a give and take yeah there there definitely could be maybe some more faculty involvement yeah it'd be but, cool I've, I've been i'm i've been this semester opening the show to invite more faculty to come on and listen and I think they're invested, you know, the ones that have reached out uh, mm-hmm. in in seeing students succeed. And I wondered if they ever kind of wondered themselves, like, oh, I wonder if there's sort of a, an opportunity for faculty to, um, you know, work alongside fraternities in some way. And I imagine if their um, if their goals line up, like you'd said, if, if the, the the advisor, you know, has a um, you know, something that they do in their life that coincides, like you said, with the uh, philanthropy, you know, that's a good match. Um, mm-hmm. So it's good stuff to uh, to think about. Um, okay, this has been, I think, really helpful. Just a couple of final questions sort of relating to yourself more as just a college student mm-hmm. um, because you did uh, recently graduate, and that's sort of how I knew you as a former student. <laughs> Uh, congratulations for for that. And this um, this podcast is all about goal achievement. So we try and mm-hmm. set a goal in the beginning of semester and work over the course of the semester. You know, learn some things along the way that uh, get us closer to achieving a goal. So, um, what were some of the tools that you found as a recent graduate? You know, being able to maybe have an audience of um, aspiring graduates Mm -hmm. uh tools for success that you may have found particularly helpful i'm just trying to expose them to as many as possible at this point Mm, um taking time for yourself was something that i had to really force myself to do because um my senior year was by far the hardest and the more time that i didn't space out for myself the more stress i became and um which interfered with accomplishing my own goals so um something that i always try to do now is make sure i schedule like gym time i mean working out is something that benefits me i'm not sure if it works for everybody else but it's definitely something to try Mm -hmm. because it definitely helps clear my mind um and makes me feel less stressed so that's something that I really hoping I stick to for the next fall semester because um, I'm, I hear awful things about graduate school, so I'm nervous. So <laughs> I'm just um, going to make sure I schedule that in my planner as much as I can. Yeah, it's great uh, great advice. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's important, you know, even if it's not something like working out, just like something that you enjoy – Um, you know, not everyone enjoys working out, but, um, (laughs) because I do think like we've swung too far. Like we had this attitude, I think years ago that like, oh, you know, college is this time where you could still, 
you know, have a lot of fun and, you know, enjoy yourself and, you know, uh, put off, you know, full-time living, you know, work and living. And it's because of I'm primarily the rising cost, I think, is more than anything, um, mm-hmm. has put such an extreme pressure on students to perform and excel because it's so, you know, there's so much money at stake and in time and people feel like, oh, I have to get it, you know, get it done and, and do well that now I think we've swung too far and now it's like now we don't take enough time to enjoy ourselves and it's like there is a balance somewhere in the middle there Uh, and it's good to hear you you bring that up to say like and not only do I do it I I plan for it you know I I put it in my calendar Um, so that's really great and then the last question is just uh, you know personal interest and again like I said I'm trying to um, have more faculty involved with the podcast is this advice you may have for faculty being a student, it, it's helpful to us. You know, we get the, the the teaching evaluations for a particular course, but that doesn't really speak to, you know, faculty as a whole. Uh, what do you think we could do better to help college students, particularly those with mental health issues? Uh, but if not, if you don't have anything for that, then just in general um, with succeeding. Um, you know, that's a really good question. And it was something that I, I've been really thinking about. Um I think most of the time students are are really afraid to reach out to their profess- professors and and ask for help or or if it's like working on a project I I don't think that even crosses a student's mind like oh maybe so and so would love to do this with me um maybe faculty could do surveys in the beginning of the year and ask them what they want the students maybe to learn or what they're hoping to gain or if there's a faculty member that wants to work on a project with an organization they reach out to the organization because I think it's more of like a kind of like a miscommunication thing I would never I would have never thought of working on a project with a faculty member just because I don't know maybe it's that stigma well they're kind of on that pedestal like they're they're the professor and I'm the student there's that gap that makes sense yeah no absolutely (laughs) and it it shouldn't be that way you Mm -hmm. know i i agree so that's a good thing to bring up like to kind of foster some more of these opportunities i'm i'm glad that i was able to do that a little bit um myself with because our department has this you know research um independent study Mm -hmm. type of uh course that uh sort of a mutual student that we know was involved with and um it was cool because they got to talk to somebody and get an overview of all of the different research interests that the faculty had. And, you know, this one is geared towards research, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, and then um, the student could then choose which which faculty they would want to work on based on the, the topic of interest and or potentially, you know, if they just really liked working with that professor, you know, that would be, you know, because they knew them. I think that's really um you know, good advice is to kind of like look for ways to sort of bridge that gap and break down this sort of imaginary pedestal that mm-hmm. is there. I'm not denying it's there, but it, it really doesn't. I mean, we don't know why it's there. Um, I, I try not to perpetuate it, at least. Um, so, 
All right. Uh, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on the show today. I think that uh, people can get a lot of value out of hearing uh, this interview and thinking about, you know, if uh, Greek life may be for them. And if so, like some of the things that would be beneficial, um, you know, and maybe some of the things that going in now they might be, you know, looking looking for like, oh, I didn't realize I could, you know, kind of test out multiple uh chapters and and see which one fit best or um you know that there is a position like yours where i I imagine too if if um somebody was in a fraternity or sorority and felt like they needed some help and and didn't necessarily want to go to somebody in their chapter that they could reach out um to somebody in the sort of um intermediary role between the greek chapters and the school Uh, so thank you for coming on today i appreciate it Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And we're back. Hope you guys got something uh, of value out of that. I I really enjoyed uh, talking with her. That's an area uh, that's sort of missing for me as I was never a brother. (laughs) Uh, And so it was helpful to kind of bring somebody on that's, uh, you know, close to the space right now. So as we wind down here, I want to talk a little bit about the home exercise for this week. So hopefully you guys are engaged in, you know, whatever goal it is you set. Uh, the first week, I had you pick something. Hopefully you pick something that can be achieved in about three, three, four months time. And last week, we wrote down our plans for our goal, listed out some steps, assigned a deadline. Hopefully you kind of got somewhere with that. Um, did you meet your deadline? Maybe your deadline isn't this week. <laughs> Maybe it's next week. I um, I got a little bit of work to do. This iTunes drive is part of my goal, so that's kind of what I'm working on now. But I also kind of want to do a little bit more promotion stuff on Facebook. So perhaps I will work on that uh, sometime this week. Um, so home exercise this week is kind of uh, related a little bit to the interview. Um so you may greek may greek life may or may not be for you um and i hope that this kind of helped shed a little bit of light on on whether on actually helping you make that decision a better informed decision um but even if it's not i think that community is super important uh and that's one of the huge benefits i think you heard from today's interview how important you know community is and and the fact that these friendships that you develop uh, in college end up oftentimes lasting a lifetime. And so with that in mind, if you're new to college, you know, you may not have yet found your niche, your, your tribe of sorts. And that is a really important aspect of success in college, I think. And that doesn't have to be a a physical group. It could be a virtual group. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, There's a lot of support in friends online. I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends that are online that I've never met in some cases or have met like once or twice uh, through mainly uh, jam band community, Um, but also in in other areas that I'm passionate about and interact with people that are also passionate online. You develop friendships. So they're just, I think, as valid as friendships that you make, you know, in person. But I think the in-person ones are, are super important. So this week, the home exercise is to take one step to find your tribe, 
if you feel like you're lacking one. That might be attending one of these Greek Rush events. Uh, it might be, you know, checking out some other club. You know, there's probably so many opportunities on college campuses right now. It's September. A lot of clubs and um, organizations are looking for new members. Uh, it's a great time to just reach out. Um, I did it yesterday myself, actually. I went to a uh, yoga class um, for the first time ever. Uh, the first yoga class ever. I'm 39 years old. Um, and so, you know, I definitely had the help of a friend, you know, in terms of like having some accountability and also kind of showing me the ropes and not making me feel dumb being totally by myself. But I did it. And I think it's harder, I think, in some ways as you get older to take to try new things. So just take advantage of it when it's like the opportunity is plentiful and you don't feel as uh, set in your ways as you do when you get older. Um, if you're already new to a tribe, you may have already gone and checked one out, you know, and that's awesome. Um, maybe it's a sport, sporting kind of tribe. Um, take one step this week to strengthen your ties with somebody from that tribe. Um, you know, hang out with somebody outside of the group or, you know, maybe do something cool for the group. Um, but just do it because it'll feel good and it may not relate specifically to your goal, um, but I don't think it could hurt. <laughs> so that's why I'm encouraging you to kind of strengthen your, your community ties within the university or if maybe it's something outside the university, a church organization or whatnot. Hey, I don't care. Whatever kind of tribe it is, um, that's awesome. So I'm going to hopefully try and do another yoga class next week at a different studio uh, as I kind of feel things out. So um think that's it for today did want to throw in a quick plug for my online course uh ace your online class is that you to me if you guys uh, are new to college you also might be new to online learning and if you're new brand new to online learning you don't know what things like what a discussion forum is or you know how to set up your schedule if you're used to taking regular classes at college and now all of a sudden you're taking online classes and you don't, you're just not figuring out your workflow that's kind of what I was trying to achieve with this uh, online course. So check it out. Um, uh, link is in the show notes. Uh, otherwise, have a kick-ass week, guys. Take care, and I will see you next week. Peace.